G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus was crucified at 9am. Then after he'd been hanging on the cross for three hours at noon, everything around the cross changed dramatically. Up until that time, the cross was a busy scene. The soldiers were active, mocking, dividing his garments, gambling for his seamless coat, etc., The chief priests were also busy. They criticized Pilate for what he wrote on the cross. They also mocked Jesus. And the people were passing by, wagging their heads, railing against him and reviling him. Jesus also was interceding. He spoke to the dying thief. He spoke to his mother and John. But then suddenly, darkness and silence for three hours. And then at the end of the three hours, there was action once again. Jesus speaks, the people move around, etc., But for those three hours, the crowds are transfixed with amazement. Blood is heard dripping onto the ground. People tremble. There is suspense. The Roman centurion and others feared greatly, and others beat their chest. This was the most incredible three hours of history throughout the ages of time. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Creator of this world, was taken by His own creation and executed. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. And what a scene that's just been set for us. It is, of course, the week of Easter, and we are surveying the wondrous cross this week. And our theme is taken from uh, a well-known, well-loved hymn, of course, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I wonder if you could perhaps sing us uh, a few lines, Ken, to start the program today. (laughs) That would be a great turn-off factor, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, we we want to reflect on the finished work at the cross. What actually happened there? Well, of course, all we can do you know, scratch the surface when we talk about what happened at the cross. So much happened at the cross. You know, Matthew, for example, records certain phenomena that took place at that time. There was darkness over the land. The veil in the temple was supernaturally torn in half. Then there was an earthquake resulting in graves opening and people coming out of them and going into the city and appearing to people and so on. It's just an amazing thing. It's the kind of thing you'd think happened in a movie, in it, but it happened in reality and that three hours must have been quite incredible, but how can we explain them? How can they be substantiated? There was, you know, they're pretty wild claims, really, when you think about them. And was there any significance to those events? Well, let me say first of all that I don't pretend to understand everything that happened on that day. I mean, there's some things that you just leave you scratching your head. Mm. But one thing we can say for sure is that God was making a big statement during those three hours. After all, the greatest event in the history of mankind was taking place right there and then. It's like God was getting out every kind of highlighter possible and marking it for all the world to see. Mm. In fact, you know, when we talk about the cross, uh, Paul later was preaching about the cross to King Agrippa and he said these words, he says, I'm sure that none of these things escape your attention because this thing was not done in a corner. In other words, it was center stage, Phil. You know, this was a, a huge thing that happened on that day. And the supernatural phenomena associated with the cross would have been talked about for a long time by many. I think one thing we can say for sure is that the events that took place during those three hours were meant to be aids, if you like, or pictures to help us to interpret something of what was taking place there and then. Well, they sure got a picture in the darkness. I can imagine there would have been a lot of people thinking, oh, 
this Jesus guy, he was actually someone significant. Look at what's, what's going around here. And their darkness, Spurgeon said, for example, it was midnight at midday. It must have been pretty freaky. Was there some significance just in the fact that it was dark, do you think? Oh, look, I think there was. I mean, you know, Jesus um, came into the world and it was full of light. Do you remember all the light, you know, mm-hmm. when, when, the, when the angels heralded his coming because the light of the world was coming into the into the world. On the cross, of course, the judgment of the world was taking place. So it was darkness around the scene right in the middle of the day, as you said. Let's go back to the time of the children of Israel in Egypt. Do you remember that one of the plagues was that there was a three-day darkness yeah. upon them, a yeah. plague of darkness that came upon them, as a, described as a darkness that could even be felt. Mm. Now, what was happening there? Well, obviously, God was putting his judgment upon Egypt. Well, now at the cross, he's putting his judgment on his son, and, and it's dark, you know, it's dark for Jesus. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can't be any more dark than this, you know. In fact, I think there were seven cries of Jesus on the cross, and that was the central one. That was the fourth cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. It's one thing to read this story and think, oh, yes, this is nice uh, sort of story, you know, it's prose. But you know, how can we actually explain that it was dark, just like nighttime, for three hours in the middle of the day? That's not a natural thing to occur. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's a good question. The first thing we can say is that it wasn't the result of an eclipse of the sun because the longest eclipse lasts for just a few minutes, you know, as we know that. Um, and also it occurred at Passover, which is the time the of the full moon. moon. Yeah. yeah, so um, it, it was nothing to do with an eclipse. No, actually it was caused by the absence of the sun. In other words, it was a miraculous thing that God was responsible for, how he did it and, and uh, so on. We, we can't explain it, but it was a God thing. It was a, it was a miraculous thing. But... Let me say this, Phil, that in addition to the record that we have in the scripture of that darkness, it's also referred to in secular writings. For example, Celsus, who was actually an opponent of the scripture. He wasn't one of um, you know, the allies of Christianity. Yeah. Um, he acknowledged it as a historical fact. And one of the church fathers, Tertullian, um, he said that uh, the heathen adversaries, you know, the adversaries of, of Christianity, um, at the moment of Christ's death, they said this, the, the light departed from the sun and the land was darkened at noonday, which wonder, he said to them, is related in your own annals and is preserved in your archives to this day. So he basically said, look, you know this happened. It's, you've written about it. Mm. And, and how do you explain it? Dark in the middle of the day for three hours. It's pretty amazing. We hear a lot about you know, people saying the scriptures aren't reliable, but they're backed up in this case, by secular writers yeah. of that amazing event. That's right. What about some of the others? The the other thing, or one other thing that happened was the veil was torn in two. Can we put that down to the earthquake that took place at the same time, or is that separate? No, not really. I mean, an earthquake would not rend uh, a loose-hanging curtain without also damaging the building and the furniture. Mm. Um, also notice the timing of it, Phil. It was just after Jesus had cried out and yielded up his spirit. There were two loud cries, in fact, of Jesus on the cross, one just before the darkness and the other just after. In other words, one just when he was beginning, the height, of, if you like, of his suffering, mm-hmm. and the other at the moment of victory. Now, Jesus' loud, triumphant cry split the 60-foot veil from the top to the bottom. It shook the earth. And it broke the rocks. And we're not talking about a little tiny flimsy piece of, <laughs> of handkerchief here, are we? This exactly. is quite, quite a, a thick, bulky piece of material. Yeah. And, and it happened, as I said, the moment, the exact moment that Jesus died, it was torn in the middle. It was torn in two equal pieces. It wasn't ripped to shreds. Mm. Uh, it was like a way was made into the holiest. And from the top, you know, from God mm. down to man, he did it. And it, the, here's the thing. It was three o'clock in the afternoon when that happened. 
And that was the time of the beginning of the evening sacrifice. So the priests would have been in front of the veil, actually <laughs> performing their duties at that time. <laughs> uh, obviously, God arranged this. He wanted it to be seen. He arranged witnesses because we know afterwards the evangelists, they boldly um, proclaimed this is what happened and, and the Jews didn't refute it because <laughs> yeah. they knew the priests saw it happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, they were so, in fact, in the book of Acts, we see in the early chapters, chapter 6 and verse 7, that a great company of priests were obedient to the faith after the gospel was preached. They put it all together. They were there. They had talked about this rending of the veil, and then many of the priests came to faith in Christ as a result of that. Okay, so what about the graves that opened and people who then appeared to others in the city? That must have been quite interesting. Yeah. Well, the earthquake caused the graves to be open, and many bodies of the saints, we're told, who had died were raised to life and came out of the graves after Jesus was raised. And, of course, the open grave signifies his triumph over death. The bodies of the saints that were raised went into the holy city. We're told that they appeared under many. Now, who they were, how many, how long they remained on earth, what they spoke of, how and where they finally went, etc., we don't know. So we can't really comment on that. But they were a symbol of the resurrection unto life. So, Phil, let's wrap all this up. You know, before the three hours of darkness, the rending of the veil, the earthquake, the splitting of the rocks, the opening of the graves, the resurrection of the saints, many were unbelieving. But after that, we're told that many feared and became believers. It must have been a powerful event that took place there at the cross. And uh, it convinced many to turn from unbelief to belief in Christ, that he was indeed the Messiah and the Savior of the world. We're surveying the wondrous cross this week and we'll have more on this for you tomorrow. In the meantime, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg and details about Ken's ministry, visit the Vision Christian store at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au.